Fungi has yet to reappear. So I suppose, you know, the question is, you know, is he dead? <laughs> can we can we say that he's probably dead? I, like, I don't think so. We don't no. know. Okay, but he's very old. Welcome to Girls With Goals. My name is Neve Marr. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a few weeks since we've had a new episode, but I am absolutely thrilled to be wrapping up the year with our deputy editor of Her in a socially distanced and safe manner, of course. Jade Hayden joins me. Jade. Hi, Neve. Thanks so much for having me here. It's Half great. a room away from you. Half a room away. That's how we like to see it. So we do these shows every year and we have done them since 2017. But 2020, of course, has been a year like no other. So it's important before we move forward into the new year to take a moment, take a deep breath and kind of look back at the year that was 2020. And I think it's safe to say that it was an absolute shit show, Jade. Would you agree? Oh, 100%. I think everyone's in agreement that 2020 has been an absolute shambles. Like personally, I've had some decent things that have happened over the past 12 months or so. But as far as years go, it it kind of has been the pits. And in fairness, I don't think that you can experience a global pandemic and come out of it just thinking, oh, that was grand. Because I, I mean, know. it wasn't. It really wasn't. I mean, I think we have to go all the way back and look at you know, when everybody's lives completely changed. And for us, of course, that was, you know, when the first coronavirus case came to the Republic of Ireland, but also for us in a work capacity, it was when we were all sent home and told to work from home. So of course, you know, it's been a really tough year for everybody. I suppose looking at it from a work perspective first, Jade, how has it been for you when it comes to being remote and just like not being in the same room as me for the entire year. How have you enjoyed I that? I know. I mean, to be honest, I've missed you a lot. I've missed, I've missed general kind of office enjoy like a lot being around people, being able to go to the kitchen and just get a cup of tea and stand there for 30 minutes and pretend to do work when you're not doing work. Yes. But I mean, to be honest, working from home, I've kind of enjoyed almost to the point where I'm slightly worried about what it's going to be like when things do eventually go back to normal because I can't get up at half six anymore and come in. Absolutely I'm literally not. like, if I get up before half eight, it's an event. Like I clap myself on the back if I manage to go for a walk or get a coffee before work these days. It's just become normal now. Yeah. It's so interesting because I remember obviously working in an office and every single day. And it's it's interesting because the work that we do, you know, it is very capable and suited to remote work. Like we can work from anywhere when we're creating content. That's like very easy to do. But it's almost just the day to day, like you said, of going to the kitchen, getting a cup of coffee. I found that working from home really suits some people and then it doesn't suit other people. And for me personally, I think I work too much from home. Oh, like, absolutely. I don't take breaks <laughs> ever. You don't switch off. There's nope. no differentiation between half five, shutting down your laptop and then 7pm when somebody sends you an email being like, hi, sorry, could you actually just look at this for a second there? And I'm like, they know I'm not doing anything else. That's, they know that's the I'm thing. literally sitting in my house not doing anything. And if I come back and say, oh, I'm actually busy, then it's like, how are you busy during a pandemic? What are you doing? I know. This is the thing as well. It's it's the fact that people know that you're literally two minutes away from the laptop at mm. all times. Um, but it, it quickly became the norm to obviously be working from home and it quickly became everybody's day to day. And, you know, like I think some people thought that it was going to last 
you know, two, three weeks at most. And obviously here we are, the guts of a year later, still in this situation with the pandemic. And I suppose it's kind of like looking to the new year, you know, it's probably not going to change for a very long time. And it's probably just up to everybody to kind of get used to that now as well. I mean, do you think that people have adapted to it in a way that I hate the phrase, the new normal, but it's probably been used more this year than anybody has ever said yeah. those two words together. Well, the new normal isn't even the new normal anymore. It's just normal. Like this is just the way people have been living for the past nine, ten months. And when things do eventually kind of open up again, get back to normal, when we can hug people randomly on the street, that's that's going to have to be another new normal at that point. Something that we're also going to have to readjust to that. And I think as much as, you know, I'm going to be delighted to be able to walk into a bar and get a glass of wine without having to book or buy a nine euro substantial meal, it is going to be difficult for some people as well. You know, people are used to this kind of isolated lifestyle at the moment and it's it's going to be a big change. Obviously a very welcome change for so many reasons, yeah. but it's not just going to be click your fingers and everything's kind of back to the way it was at the end of 2019. I agree. And I think it's so interesting because like, you know, when your memories get thrown up on your phone of like what you were doing a year ago, yeah. what you were doing a few years ago. Uh, always slightly fearful, in my opinion, when your phone decides to bring up memories and show them to you. But what I'm struck by is the pictures actually from like Christmas parties that we've been at together from a few years back when every single picture you are cheek to cheek with somebody else and now it's looked at as the most terrifying thing if you're that close it's to somebody insane. we used to all just like smash our faces in Literally and be hugging and now like I haven't been that close no. to anybody I've been watching TV shows and like having to catch myself to be like oh they shouldn't be doing that and it's like it's a TV programme that's been shot pre-pandemic and even if it hasn't all these people are probably in isolation and everything's fine they're in a bubble but even what I was watching like a bake-off and all we talked about with Bake Off was the fact that these people were in a bubble. It was just them and the crew down at this like gorgeous house in the UK countryside. And all I kept thinking was just like, why is Noel Fielding up in that man's face telling a joke? How is this safe? Yeah. It's just, it's such a jarring difference between the way that we've been living for the past while and it's, it's going to take a while to to get back into normality. It definitely will and I suppose like kind of moving on to to talk about some of the stories that we covered in the past year we were you know in lockdown and and working through the pandemic for a few months when on May 25th 2020 officers in Minneapolis arrested a 46 year old man named George Floyd and he was being accused at the time of using a counterfeit $20 bill to buy a cigarette. So outside the convenience store where he was arrested, he was held down by four officers. He was unable to breathe and George Floyd became unconscious and he died during the arrest. So his death sparked rather local, nationwide and global protests as people took to the streets to protest the injustices facing black people in modern society. So the Black Lives Matter movement happened around that time. And like it was something that we saw here. We obviously were, were looking at the protests that were happening in Minneapolis at first and then the way that they were spreading. I went to the Black Lives Matter march that happened in Dublin and I recorded some of the footage and we put it out on the Her Twitter account. I mean, for you, Jay, like obviously we covered this as a news story on site and, you know, people were talking about it a lot about what, you know, black people in Ireland were facing at the time and potentially not to the extreme level that we see when it comes to violence in the States. But it really hit home for a lot of people here as well and made everybody look at the way that they react to people of other races too. Mm -hmm. I mean, listen, like aside from coronavirus, this was the biggest story of the year. Yeah. It was absolutely massive. 
on Blackout Tuesday, nobody posted anything on Instagram that wasn't directly related to this campaign. And, you know, I think it's so important that as people who do work in the media industry, that we kind of take this as a moment to reflect as well. You know, like you said, there isn't police brutality on the same scale here in Ireland as there would be in the US. But that doesn't mean that discrimination doesn't still exist. That doesn't mean that racism doesn't still exist because everybody who spoke out during this time said that there is and they gave examples and we know that this is true now. But I mean, one of the more prominent things that we kind of decided to do was to amplify the voices of black women and people of colour in general. You know, we spoke to activists and we spoke to artists and we spoke to campaigners and let them tell their own stories because, I mean, at the end of the day, there's nothing about race or discrimination in Ireland that I can say as a white woman who hasn't experienced it, that someone who has experienced it couldn't say 100 times better. Absolutely. I feel like, you know, you mentioned Blackout Tuesday there and there was a lot of controversy around the black tiles that people were posting on Instagram. And I suppose, you know, while this was happening, many people started to claim that it was reductive and that, it, you know, controversy ensued because of that, because what was potentially well-meaning in how it began quickly became what people were accusing of performative action. And, you know, it was creating its own set of issues when it came to actually muffling some of mm. the content. And I know, you know, for us, this all happened very, very quickly on a Tuesday. And, you know, a lot of people decided, you know, to take that day to just post a black tile and like, look, I posted a black tile on my personal account, but I, I said under it, like, go over to her.ie where we are going to continue to amplify as much as we can throughout the day. But a lot of people sat back and then people were being accused of, you know, a cop out essentially mm. and basically taking the day to sit back what was said to be a learning thing was then being accused of actually just sitting back and not taking part in it and look it was it was one of those things that I think people were obviously trying to do the right thing but it did cause a bit of a stir and it did cause a bit of controversy like what was your opinion on that? See it did it happened so fast like you said it was like one day everybody woke up and suddenly this initiative had taken off and people were trying to figure out what it was about, what it was supposed to mean and what it was supposed to achieve. And now, you know, with hindsight, we can look back and say that was a time for people who haven't experienced discrimination and who are white to sit back and to listen and to be educated and to learn about these things that are happening. But there is obviously the chance that a lot of people didn't really take the day to do that. A lot of people easily could have just posted black tile and then not done anything else. And I think that's where the criticism came from. It was almost seen like a get out of jail free card. It was like, if I just post this, everybody will know that I do not support racism in any form. And that's it. That's enough. But I think what organisers and a lot of campaigners have kind of said since is that they didn't want to drown out the people of colour's voices. They wanted those to be amplified. And a, the issue that kind of arose was that Instagram was just kind of flooded with a lot of just black tiles yeah. with no information on them. This is it. And like, I remember we recorded a Girls With Goals around that time and I interviewed an author, Yomi Adegoke, and she's the author of Slay In Your Lane and, and other books as well. And she wrote a piece that kind of went viral around that time for British Vogue. Um, it was incredibly powerful and basically it dealt with the performative activism that was happening, the weariness that she felt personally and the news cycle surrounding the black deaths in America. And basically she was saying that she felt exhausted about the 
the requirement to perform activism and to kind of shout out about this anguish that that community was feeling online. And, you know, she she spoke about it in, in such an eloquent way. And I do implore you, if you're listening to this, to go and, and check out that episode. But like, that's the thing. It was It was kind of talking about the, you know, capture it and documented on Instagram or else it didn't happen. And this, it kind of opened up a whole other conversation aside from the Black Lives Matter movement about like, if you don't talk about your activism and you don't talk about injustices, are you supporting them? And Mm -hmm. I just felt like it was such a valid point to talk about how actually some people were being targeted for not saying anything, Mm -hmm. which wasn't the issue at all. The issue was about the Black Lives Matter movement. But what then became the issue was, well, is this influencer talking enough about her white privilege and about the Black Lives Matter movement, which actually isn't the point at all. Exactly. That's the thing, you know, like me, I don't have any authority on this. I shouldn't be speaking about it. I should be interviewing other people and that's what I can do. But at the same time, there's people of colour who also feel like they don't have authority. They might not feel like they've been victimised. They might not want to say anything. They also might be still grieving the death of George Floyd and they might not feel like they have the ability to speak out at the moment. And yet a lot of people felt like they were just expected to post something, to have an opinion, to speak out, to be interviewed and you know, they, they didn't want to. They didn't have anything that they felt they could add to the discussion. Yeah, it took the point away. But I think like in 2020, you know, like you said at the beginning of this chat, aside from the coronavirus, this was, you know, the biggest story of the year. And I know that for us as a digital publication, you know, that's female focused in Ireland. It's something that I want to focus on in 2021, you know, to get more diversity. And that's not just in terms of the people that we interview, but it's about getting different bylines on the site. And it's something that, that I'm really committed to and something that I'm looking forward to as well. I want to move on now to news that that literally made people cry with happiness, like my mate cried over it. But in July of 2020, Rosanna Davison announced that she was pregnant with twin boys after suffering devastatingly 14 miscarriages. And Rosanna and her husband, Wes Quirk, had welcomed their daughter, Sophia, via surrogate in November of last year. So just uh, she had a one-year-old at the time. So the model and former beauty queen has been very open about her fertility struggles. And Jade, you interviewed Rosanna actually right before she gave birth to the twins yeah. for our December. <laughs> Recover like literally, we didn't know that. At the we time. didn't know at the time, we but like it was pounding her. We were like just sending her a bunch of emails, and literally, I think she gave birth like the Wednesday, yeah. and then we went live with it on the Thursday. So, I mean, like, first off, let's go back and just look at like when that news came out when she posted the news that she was pregnant with twins on her Instagram. Like, first off, in terms of viral news, the story really did go viral. I mean, it was a massive story across the UK and Ireland, but it was it was one of those stories that lifted everybody spirits because obviously it's been a ridiculously tough year and everybody was just genuinely so happy for this woman who had been so open about the struggles that she had had. It was literally it was the greatest feel-good story of the year like I'm not exaggerating here when I say that our site blew up when that story broke there were thousands of people reading it when it went live and the comment section was on fire and like the really lovely thing was that all of the comments were just overwhelmingly positive as well. And like I'm saying from like someone who's worked in digital media for three and a half years, that never happens. It just never it happens. It never happens. Yeah. Even you could have the nicest story about the nicest person who's never done anything wrong and you're going to have someone in there being like, didn't happen. Yeah. I don't believe it. They don't deserve that. Why is she talking about it that? It was all positive. Every single person was just delighted for Rosanna. It was so nice. And yeah, I chatted to her for our December cover about the moment that she found out that she was having twins and why she found 
found it so crucial to speak about her fertility struggles as well. You know, as much as we kind of like to think that we're a nation of talkers, fertility is still an issue that a lot of couples suffer in silence with. Um, and yeah, as you said, it later transpired that she did the interview about 12 hours before she gave birth to her twins. I know. Which we were very grateful for. Do you know the day <laughs> that she actually announced that she had given birth to the twins? Like I had emailed her that morning about something to do with some yeah. something ridiculous to do with imagery. And then I was like, you're like, no. And then I actually emailed her later that day again, just being like, oh my God, like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, but also congrats. But also congrats. And then email back the day after. Like she was just she going. Was on it like she really was but I feel like it was it was just one of those stories that you know I think it really hit home with with a lot of women and and not necessarily just to do with fertility issues but just to do with like any kind of issues you know and any kind of issue that you've been keeping to yourself or struggling with in silence I feel like Rosanna because she had remained silent for a long time on this and then she began to speak about the fertility issues that she had been having a lot of people looked up to her as being somebody who was open and honest about something that like you said was very much a taboo Mm. subject and so I think a lot of people were relating to her as just just being somebody that they can go, you know what, fair play. Like, honestly, fair fucks. How terrible must that have been? But then to constantly be a woman of, you know, quote unquote, that age who is always asked about babies and Mm -hmm. then for her to come out and go, you know what, that sucked. That was really, really tough to be going through this behind closed doors and then to be somebody who's out there in the public eye, you know, and it's basically an expectation that, you know, if you're married for a certain amount of time, you're going to start having babies and then people forget that actually it's a really tough road for so many people. Exactly. I like when you have somebody who's a celebrity is in the public eye who is known for being Miss World, you kind of have to, people kind of forget that these people are human as well. We saw it with the likes of Chrissy Teigen and Meghan Markle as well earlier this year, who both experienced pregnancy loss as well and spoke about it so candidly and so openly. And it was, it was a very kind of, I suppose, blatant reminder that these women are still going through a lot of things that a lot of us, quote unquote, normal people are going to experience as well. Absolutely. Well, it was just the best news. And honestly, then when she announced that she had given birth to the two little boys, like everyone was just... It was so nice. It and was the photo of her in the delivery room with Wes and the two of them there, it was just, it was gorgeous. It, like, was, it amazing. was so nice. Yeah. And she's actually been great crack as well on social media since she's had the babies because she posted a picture there recently just about the realities of, like, she also has a one-year-old daughter, let's yeah. not forget. So she's gone from like in the past year, just her and Wes to being like, a mother of three, family of five, suddenly. Yeah, like, and that and baby <laughs> is heading towards, or probably is, I'm not very good with ages. I don't know what age, like I don't know what age babies start walking at. I have no idea. There's varying degrees of reports. Up I don't really. I don't know. So I just kind of more so do it on sizing. And anyway, that baby, the one-year-old looks like it's definitely at almost toddler level, which means there's going to be one running around like a maniac and then two newborns. And she posted a very candid picture there recently about the realities of being a mom of, of three kids under two and I mean I still think she looks absolutely fantastic of course she does (laughs) but but, I mean she was a a former Miss World so like that's kind of expected but yeah I mean I just love how open she is about everything that she's been through and yeah it was just one of those fantastic feel-good stories of the year I yeah. hope we get more of Kind those. of the only one, I yeah. would say. <laughs> I literally was. Speaking of feel-good stories of the year, we're going to segue 
beautifully into the presidential election now. So it might seem like years ago, but it was only a little while ago that Joe Biden won the US presidential election. Uh, Massive, obviously, we've been covering it. I mean, like, we wouldn't be known, Jade, fair to say, we wouldn't be known necessarily as a political website. No, especially not US politics, usually. It's not generally been something that our audience has been overly invested in. But when you have something as massive as the US election... And someone is running against Donald Trump. I mean, the interest is always going to be there. Absolutely. And it was there massively for Biden as well. And as well for for Kamala Harris, which is great to see. You know, she's going to end up being the first vice female vice president. Yeah. Um, which is just a massive thing for the US, but also for the world as well. You know, stories like this, they don't just affect people in America. They affect everybody. Absolutely. I mean, like, it's weird. I feel like it's going to, obviously, it's historic whenever there's a US president it, it goes into the history books but I do feel like the past four years you know I remember walking into the radio studio that I worked in at the time when Donald Trump was elected and I do remember just feeling very confused by how this had happened because of course you know he had been among other things a reality TV star so it was just an odd time in America anyway to have had Donald Trump as president for the past four years but then of course you know seeing him deal with a global pandemic and and just the whole administration you know the way in which they dealt with it and how confident they were that they were going to get another term as well uh, and like it was tight I mean it wasn't it wasn't a for a while there it was touch and go I think people were like they were concerned and then all of a sudden he just flew ahead and we were like okay it's, it's going to be fine it's grand do you remember where you were when you heard the news because there was a couple of days where it was like it could come out today he could just take it today and people were just like waiting Jade I gave up like I watched it for the first kind of two days I was watching every single moment of coverage and I was like literally CNN in the background constantly just watching it Um, and then after a while you know I knew what it was going to take for Biden to win and I knew that we were a little bit off it so I did actually dip out of the news because I just couldn't handle it I also couldn't handle how much fraud accusations were coming from Trump as well like as in the fact that when it became apparent that he was going to have to concede and then he just decided not to for a long time that just really frustrated me because I was just like you know this isn't this is democracy this is what happens this is the moment that you're meant to go you know what well thought good race See you later, like. Yeah, but he it's was also Donald go, Trump. He was never going to do he that. He was never going to do that. <laughs> but I do remember the moment. Uh, I remember because, like, I think you were away from your laptop, actually. So I remember I hopped on to write something up because I was like, we have to get this live. But yeah, the moment that it became apparent and the moment that they were starting to actually say, like the news networks were were calling it, I do remember. And I think, I can't remember, was it a Saturday or whatever? But anyway, I had a beer and I, I, I watched the news and I... I wouldn't say I celebrated, you know, because obviously impartial, but I was just like, yeah, this yeah, is, uh, this is a moment. Good. This is a big moment. Yeah. Where were you? I was out smashing takeaway pints in the park. This, I knew you so. were. You were near your laptop anyway. <laughs> it was a weekend. Why would I be? <laughs> I was looking at my laptop. I was like, I'm definitely, yeah. I think I was, I'm closer to this than Jade is. So I'm going to have to hop on. But I was the same. Like I was all over the coverage all that week. And then I was kind of like, it's not happening as fast as we all thought it was going to. So I yeah. did kind of dip out. And then that weekend, I was like, it's probably going to be like another week or something. And I was like fully on like my fourth drink. I just ordered a pizza. I was like sitting in the park. And then 
everyone who I was with, all their phones just like lit up with like the RT notification, the Sky News notification. And everyone was just like, I mean, when you're a bit drunk, you're going to be happier than you probably would have been of course. in a normal situation. But yeah. yeah, it was nice. It did feel like a bit of a celebration. Yeah. A little bit of a kind of lift of like, okay, that's good. Yeah. The same I mean, thing definitely. hasn't happened again. I think like a lot can be said, obviously, you know, for the polarization of politics in, in the US. I do think that, you know, at the moment, the entire world needs to have leaders that they they feel empowered by and that they feel uplifted by and you know Donald Trump he's known for a lot of things he definitely has opinions about certain members of society and I think at this time when the world has been through so much you need to have people in power that are all about you know just making people feel good about what's to come and I think that Biden is going to do a good job and I'm so excited to see what Kamala Harris does as well in office I think she's going to be incredible. I mean, I think she's a very powerful woman. She's gotten to where she is, obviously. So I'm looking forward to seeing what she does in office. Definitely. I mean, I know representation has become a bit of a buzzword this year, but I mean, when you look at the amount, like there's videos online of like young little girls talking about the fact that Biden and Harris won and like them saying, oh, I want to be president one day. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you're not going to get that if you just have a string of white men. Exactly. It's historic. Nobody can take away. It has become a buzzword, but nobody can take away from the fact that that is a historic moment and I also felt really proud being Irish watching that because I know that our presidency is very different to the US presidency but like you know we had a president in the 90s who was a woman you know and I remember that I mean I'm a little bit older than you not too much older but like I'm a little bit older than you and I just remember always Mary Robinson was always somebody that like I remembered being a woman in a very powerful position and when you're a young girl growing up that's incredibly exciting to see that no matter what so for America for young girls watching that like it is a historic moment sure it'll give you chills it's a massive difference it is yeah Maybe I'm just a little bit chilly in here anyway. Um, But yeah, so obviously we're ahead of the inauguration at the moment, but I'm sure that we will all be watching that as well. It's not going to be the same as past inaugurations because of the pandemic, but we will all watch that. So speaking of watching things, we can talk about 2020 without bringing up one of the most watched TV shows. Um, It created a a worldwide phenomenon and celebrity in the form of Paul Meskel, and that is Normal People. So did you buy into Normal People from the get-go? I have to say, it took me a little while to get into it. And the only reason is because there was almost too much hype for it at the beginning. I wanted to wait and see, but then I actually became left out of the loop of a really big news story so I actually yeah. needed to I needed to watch it for my job a lot of people did the same thing they were kind of like this is overhyped it can't be that good I'm gonna wait I'm gonna sit it out and then once they started watching they were like oh no this is actually it's quite fantastic like yeah and I, I was in it from the beginning you know I'd read the book I was right. well aware it was happening so I was like I'm definitely gonna tune into this also it came during the height of the first lockdown I had nothing else to do yeah. so this was like the highlight of my week I say week as if I watched it like Serially, we. I didn't. I just watched it all, and I binged. You binged it, it to yeah. Hell. I feel like when you read a book and then you watch you know, an adaptation of it, sometimes that can bring a little bit of cynicism with it. So did you have any expectations as to what you were watching? Did you go into it with a little bit of cynicism? See, the cynicism that I had for normal people had nothing to do with the fact that I'd watched 
I'd read that book and thought this is incredible. The TV show isn't going to do it justice because I read the book during a time in my life when I was extremely single. So I was reading about these characters <laughs> who were obsessed with each other, who were having like amazing sex, who were deeply in love, got on so well and just for some reason couldn't be together. And I was so frustrated with the characters that I actually didn't enjoy the novel that much. I was like, I didn't like it. You know, I prefer Sally Rooney's other work. I prefer this. You know, I just didn't think it was that great. And then when I came into the TV show, having grown as a person, ah. I could then appreciate it for what it was. And I understood this is now how real relationships work. This was the thing. So I had a level of frustration for this because potentially I hadn't read the book. So I was just watching it as somebody who's in their 30s, you know, in a relationship, in love, watching two people in their, you know, late teens, early 20s fall in love. And then all the stuff that goes along with that, which is essentially a relationship in your 20s, which is just filled with passion and complications. And like, you just want to shake them and go, you know, why can't they be together? It's because they're late teens and early 20s. It's because they've got so many other things that are going on in their life. And that's what relationships when you're younger is is kind of about. I feel like it. that's why I loved it so much because it actually reminded me of, you know, that craziness which is your early 20s where you don't actually have a, a clue of the person that you're going to be and so you actually make a shit ton of mistakes while you're going through it. I have to say I loved it. I loved everything about it. I thought the sex scenes were so realistic and I thought it was fantastic to see sex scenes like that in a room in the afternoon with a couple of people yeah, who were kind of awkwardly on a single bed. Like it was brilliant. I remember the first sex scene between the two of them and it's them in his tiny little box room. In and a single like, bed. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> single bed with little check sheets. Like, yes. come on. <laughs> But like, first thing was, okay, that you actively see them using protection. You literally never see that. You never see that. And that's that moment, like you saw the beat and there is that beat of, you know, the moment when the lab puts on the condom or or however way you want to take the contraception or whatever. But there's always that moment of asking about it and then kind of waiting. Yeah, and and the awkwardness of having to like suss it out. Do you have something? I have something like all of that stuff that just happens in, I'd say, the vast majority of sexual encounters these days. And yet for some reason, it's just not documented on TV and film. And then there was that other like, honestly, I think I teared up at this point when he literally just turned to her and was like, if you want to stop at any point, just let me know. And I had this, I had this moment where I was like, Connell Waldron is the perfect man. And I had to stop myself because I was like, no, no, that's the baseline of what people should be doing and what we should be seeing on TV. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, there were so many moments in it that I, as a viewer, haven't seen before. You know, when you when you look at the character of Connell as well, the fact that he struggled with his mental health and Mm -hmm. had to go and, you know, talk to somebody about it. That's something that I know would definitely hit home for I think a lot of people in Ireland because especially for young men in Ireland you know mental health was something that necessarily hasn't been spoken about you know in the last 10-15 years as much as, as as it is being spoken about now but I think seeing that representation on screen of you know the GAA lad who's really popular and who is very intelligent and who has incredible avenues to go down in life but then as well as really struggling with dark thoughts and you know it deals with suicide and there's just so many layers to 
it that I've never seen before. And as well, it was just incredibly acted, you it know, was. they like, were amazing. It, they were incredible. And it was such a joy to watch as well. Like every single episode, it was just like, wow, yeah. that was When incredible. I found out that Daisy Edgar Jones wasn't Irish, I was shocked. I know her accent, the accent was, was so good. good. It was so good. And no one can do an Irish accent. Like they just can't. And she nailed it. And the thing is, this wasn't just massive for us, you know, like, I don't want this to be the level, but people like the Kardashians were posting about it. And when I talk about celebrity, these people have over 200 million followers on Instagram. So when they post about, you know, something that was recorded, you know, in Tamangos, which is my local nightclub that I used to go to every Iconic. single day. And I was like, oh my God, Connell. every day. <laughs> I literally, like when I was in college, I went there Monday, Tuesday, oh, Wednesday, wow. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And That's sometimes upsetting. I would go on Sunday. So I literally went every day. So, like, Connell was into mangoes when I was watching that. I was like, oh, my God. So for just, for the fact that it had this massive, go- and, like, it's it's catapulted him. He is it now has. one of the most famous Irish exports yeah. that we Instantly have. Instantly recognisable, you know, which is insane for him as well. He's literally gone from, like, Ballyhonest to intense stardom almost overnight you know? I know yeah I think it is interesting the way he's kind of spoken about it as well because you kind of think like like we were saying earlier with Ozani you kind of think once a person is a celebrity it's like oh they're they're fine now they have it all they must be loving this this is amazing but he's kind of Paul Mescal has kind of said that you know he he found it difficult in the beginning he went from essentially nothing to having people in his DMs being like will you please sit on my face and he was like <laughs> wow. this is a lot like yeah it was a lot and he was single at the time when the show came out and he was kind of he did this interview and he kind of said you know as much as I'm looking forward to dating again it's not going to be the same like he was kind of like wondering how am I going to meet someone now that everybody's obsessed with this character that I've played that isn't me I know and that's the thing like the a few of the interviews that I've seen him do he's, he has been very clear about differentiating that and saying like I am not that character you know and even when you hear his accent you know that he's not but obviously that is the defining moment so far in his career but I think he he only had one TV credit to his name before he was very much a theatre actor and he was making an incredible name for himself on the stage but I think that this was you know it was his it was his first massive credit and it will be what he's identified with for a certain amount of time until he does something else and also I really enjoy the projects that he's been picking you know like he's been picking projects that have just been a little bit offbeat like he hasn't dived in and gone straight for the big budgets that he's probably being offered Oh, I'd say he's being offered literally everything and he's done what like a Rolling Stones video he's done so many like shoots with like Vogue and GQ and yeah. stuff like that he's keeping it really low key which he's I keeping enjoy. it low key he's being selective and it's going to be interesting to see because you see this sometimes with actors you know when they've had that massive big break it's the second project that they select that is always going to be the defining one like I remember back in the 90s like when Leonardo DiCaprio for example became that massive star after Titanic you know he didn't want to be known as the heartthrob he really wanted to make selective choices with the next projects that he did because you do you get defined by the character that you're most famous for it just happens it does so it's going to be interesting to see how he handles this level of fame but speaking of global icons I want to move on to something that happened in October um, of this year and our own global icon um, Fungi Fungi the dolphin has gone missing. And the thing is, I just I just want to talk about the headline that Sky News went with. So I think you know when Sky News reports that Ireland is gripped 
by the mysterious disappearance of our dolphin, you know that it's time for the year to get in the bin and for us to just maybe move on. But this is what happened. So it did make headlines around the world, of course, when basically they couldn't find fungi anymore. But I want to ask you first, what was your experiences with fungi before you saw this news? Had you ever seen fungi the dolphin no, in real life? I don't even think I've been to Dingle in my life. Like I wanted to go this year because I couldn't leave the country. And then I was like, oh, it takes six hours on a bus and I don't drive, so I can't go. So I've, I've never experienced fungi. I've never been out to see him. And I think even if I was in his his hometown, I, I don't know if I'd be drawn to go to him. Okay. Well, I, I had seen fungi a couple of times when I was younger. So basically, if you hadn't caught this story, the iconic and much-loved dolphin. Fungi was reported missing from Dingle Harbour back in October and even though there have been several theories as to his whereabouts and many, many false sightings, Fungi has yet to reappear. So I suppose, you know, the question is, you know, is he dead? (laughs) (laughs) Can we we say that he's probably dead? I I don't think so. We don't know. Okay, but he's very old. Like I know dolphins can live for like, what, until they're 50 or something mad like that. But I mean, he's been knocking around for a while. Yeah. I kind of feel like it might have just been his time. And like, if he's not dead, he's definitely gone. He's not going to come back. No, he's not. Because the thing is, there are people in the harbour that obviously there are tours and there are people that go out and they know what fungi looks like. There was another, I think there was another dolphin spotted in the harbour and everyone lost their shit and was like fungi's back and the fishermen were like no it's not fungi lads it's just another dolphin at the same time though they could probably just turn around and be like oh there he is and then start up all their tours again and they'd be fine but I feel like they have they're too invested in it I feel like they kind of have like like they, they don't want to lie about it. You they know? don't want to lie no. about it. This is the thing, like it's been a hard enough year as it is. I feel like when it comes to fungi, like potentially fungi has passed on. Yeah. Maybe he literally was like, I'm pretty sick of this and I just want to leave yeah. and go away. I think that that's the version that a lot of people would like to hope yeah. for. He did and a Paul Mescal on it and was like, I actually am not mad on this whole fame thing. I might just kind of dip Yeah, out. maybe he did a jet ski guy thing and just, yeah. you know, went to a different harbour over in, I don't know, Scotland or the Can Isle I of tell Man? you about my favourite theory oh, about God. what happened to Fungi? So there's a headline. <laughs> Come on. That said, um, locals respond to theory that Fungi has been quote unquote shot dead. And it was <laughs> the use of the phrase shot dead that just made me think like this dolphin is being perceived as some sort of like elusive gangster figure when really what people meant was that someone had accidentally gone out in a boat and shot him or something oh, with God. a shotgun. But the way they framed it was like he's been assassinated. Fungi was assassinated. Yeah, and everyone was like freaking out, being like, they've killed him, what's happened? And then some fishermen just had to come out and be like, no, that didn't happen. Nobody, nobody shot the, like, the dolphin. But the thing is, I I love these theories because I feel like it's a real indication that people are screaming for good news. Do you know what I mean? Like they really want to hear that fungi is alive. And it's almost as if it's, I feel like it's going to become a myth because I don't think people... I don't think people really oh, don't come at me for this like, I don't think people really care about fungi that much obviously people who know fungi yeah. are upset I'd say the locals care a lot I'd about say the fungi, locals do but yeah I think he was very much a representation of just every single thing that had gone wrong this year exactly and then finally as the year was coming to a close oh of course of course the most iconic dolphin yeah. in Ireland has also disappeared exactly and the thing is like we can't bring you 
false news. We can't say to you that Fungi is alive. I would love to be finishing up this show by saying that we have insider information that Fungi is actually alive. But sadly, that's not the case. But if you were to look to the future, Jade, and look to 2021 and look back at some of these stories that we've just spoken about, some of the shit that has gone down in 2020, I mean, like... Are you hoping for the return of Fungi? Would that be the best start to 2021 ever? I don't think you care that much about this. I don't this care stuff. that much. I think it would be nice for other people. I think other people would be happy about it. I would just kind of love, I would love a bit of reassurance that I'll be able to like get a glass of wine without needing to book a table somewhere. Yeah. Also that we're going to get an actual nice summer next year. That's all I want. I like that. Yeah. It's a nice Simple way to things, end. things, you know. That's it. Just a little bit of hope. Well, I want to say thank you to everybody who listened to Girls With Goals over the past year. I know it's been incredibly hard for some people, but look, we've been talking about some of the more serious stories and we've also talked a little bit about some of the more lighthearted stories because at certain points throughout the year, if you couldn't laugh, there was not a lot that you could do. So we look forward to seeing you next year. We hope that you have a very safe and healthy Christmas and New Year. Jade Hayden, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me Neymar. It's been a joy. Now let's get out of this building safely and have a nice Christmas. Talk to you guys in the new year. Bye.